Welcome to the Collective Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, please visit thecollectivechurch.ca.ca. Recovering the magnificence of our very real hope in Christ. Um, hope is defined as a feeling of expectation and a feeling of desire. And the archaic version, the original um, definition of hope, which is my favorite, is a feeling of trust. What I'm sharing today is kind of speaking into the theme song, which is called Recovering the Magnificence, from our, from our album. There's 11 songs, and one of the songs is called Recovering the Magnificence. So this is going to provide a bit of a backstory to, to why we wrote that song. Um, and I, speaking on hope, I think we can live without food for some time, and we can live without water for some time. But one thing I believe we cannot live without is hope. Because hope is what will help us live with our food and live with our order. So in, in November 2016, I came across the words Recovering the Magnificence when I was, I was just reading a book on the life of Jeremiah. And then I was also reading Zechariah and Haggai, the two prophets. And I'll show you how their stories link. But just reading about their life, and I came, literally came across the words Recovering the Magnificence, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. And God gave me this, like, as I was reading and studying these guys' lives, I just, I felt like he was just awakening my imagination again. Because um, at the time, when he gave us this, us this word, it was a very trying time of our lives. We, we felt we had sown so much seed. We felt we had prayed so many prayers. We had done the good thing and been obedient with our gifts and our callings. And we had done all these great things, but here we sit with no garden to speak of. All the seed and no garden. I don't know if any of you can relate to that feeling sometimes. Like, where, when is this thing going to take shape? And we needed the Lord to come and recover some magnificence in our lives. And so when he gave us that word, it was like something we held on to. We shared it with our friends, and it's been something we've referred to all the time. Oh, recovering the magnificence. Oh, it's like along the way, God's just been showing us the little trail of how he's recovered the, recovering the magnificence. So quickly, backstory. Jeremiah, as we know, was a prophet who basically prophesied that there was an exile coming and it was going to last for 70 years. Sadly, we know that happened. And Jeremiah obviously not just prophesied that it was going to happen, he actually saw it happen. He saw the siege of, of um, Jerusalem and he saw the exile of the people. So he actually saw his prophecy come to pass. Then you had Zechariah, who I'm going to show you the link. His book was set at the end of those 70 years. So they'd gone into exile and his book was set just towards the end of them coming out of exile and coming back to the promised land. And he was kind of challenged, him and, him and Haggai challenged the people to, hey, come back and build the temple, come back to the promised land, come out of your exile mindsets and let's start rebuilding the, the ruined temple, not just the temple, but your magnificent identities. Jeremiah grew up in the same time as a, as a, as a king called Josiah. Josiah became king at eight years old. I mean, eight years old. I mean, that's something. Anyway, eight years old, he becomes king because his father had been murdered. And um, he was, at that time, he was stepping into a very broken people. Everyone was just kind of completely lost sight of what it meant to live as a son and daughter of God. He was stepping into this. He was stepping in with no spiritual compass. He was stepping in with no blueprint. He was stepping in with no way to turn. How am I going to do this? He was literally inherited this kingdom and it was a mess. All he had inherited was brokenness and despair from his fathers. But he was from the line of David and he knew the lineage he came from. And so he had, this, he had a bit of a desire in him 
to actually make a bit of changes because his fathers had set up pagan gods. It was just a real low time, an all-time low in, the history, in their history. And so he starts, and with his little bit of passion, a couple of years into his leadership, he starts making changes. And one of the things he did is, I'm going to actually start repairing the temple. So cleaning out these um, shrines and things that the guys had set up. And one of the days he sends his workers out, he says, please go and pay one of the um, temple builders. And while the guy's going there, he goes to give the money to the guys that are rebuilding the temple. Out comes a priest. He comes running out with his book. He's like, I found the book of the law hidden beneath the rubble, hidden beneath the floorboards. And some say it was a book of Deuteronomy that he found. And so the worker's like, well, I'm just going to be paying you money, but let's go. Let's take this back and let's go tell Josiah. You know, he's got this desire. He's already starting to make changes. Let's go. So they start reading the word to Josiah. And you just think what Josiah felt. There he is, trying his best. He's inherited so much brokenness, and he starts hearing his true identity. He starts hearing the ways he gets to walk in. He starts hearing the promises. He starts seeing the truths, um, the stories from old. And so what does he do? Like all of us do, he rips his clothes off in despair. <laughs> I've never ripped my clothes off in despair. He must have felt a very real emotion in that time where he literally tore the, tore the clothes off his body. But I think it was despair mixed with hope. I kind of liken it to the thing of like, he was probably, it's probably like he was sitting in a little raft boat, floating out at sea, no one's coming to help him, here comes this big barge, but not just the barge, everyone's waving at him. Like he knew in that moment, I am safe, I have, I have a way, I have a, a life to live. And he probably started seeing things through how things should be, but seeing the very real threat that what it, the degrading history had on, his, on, on the current state of affairs. And so a huge reformation takes place. He starts leading the people in their magnificent identities as sons and daughters of God. So not only Josiah found hope, a whole nation found hope. But then he died, back into despair, back into dismay, and off they go into exile for 70 years. Then we have Zechariah. And years later now, these people are about to come back to the promised land. So he, he has a task now to start pulling the people out of their exile mindsets and out of self-preoccupation to get them working as the people of God. Not just to repair their temple, but their very magnificent identities as sons and daughters. They had been in exile for far too long. Their self-identity was ruined. For too long they'd been knocked around by the winds and waves. And the once proud people who had Abraham and Moses all in their lineage were at the risk of losing their identity. And so these two accounts, we see the Lord recovering the magnificence of a degrading people with despair. It's very, two great pictures for me of how one had lost all their history, they had kind of forgotten completely who they were called to be, they felt dislocated from that reality, and they were heading into exile. And then it's, an, it's the opposite effect, now they're coming home, and they need to know what it means to live in this freedom again. And in deconstruction and in reconstruction, there's always gifts that are recovered in the process where we need to let go of exile mindsets for the guys coming home or we need to put on new mindsets, deconstruction and reconstruction. There's always things that are recovered. I remember Nina and I, when we were early married, we had a friend who was digging up their soil. Now we lived on the bluff, which is an amazing place. Um, if you've never been, you need to go. Just past the 
container terminals, past the big trucks. <laughs> on the, I don't even must cut this part. I'll be in trouble if they hear me say this. It's, the, it's Durban's best kept secrets, but it's the most populated suburb in the southern hemisphere. That's right, Eva. Yeah. So we had a friend. She said, "Are we building?" And guess what? So there's densely populated houses along the, the seafront. This guy's digging up his garden. He finds a horseshoe. That's our friends, and they're telling us, hey, we found a horseshoe, and guess what? Our house used to be a farm. I was just like, boom. Like, I just had a new, like, filter come over. My, my, my imagination was awake. Rolling farms along this, the coast, I mean, along the sea. You're riding your horse down to the beach, have a surf, back onto your horse, open <laughs> greens, feed your cows, feed your chickens. What happened? My imagination was awake to what they found underneath the ground, this horseshoe. It just sparked up this reality. I was like, what? Like, same with my boys, like when we do cleanup time in their rooms, and we, I love it, but we empty out their toy boxes in the middle of the room, and it's just like, we love our toys. And so we start digging through, what happens? Oh, I don't know, I had this. It's like, yo, we bought it for you two years ago, it's still brand new, but he's like, I forgot I had this. Like, he, his imagination, oh my word, I'm going to and off they go play, and I'm left to clean. But they're, in, in the turning of the soil, in the turning of the cleaning up, and the process, the hard work, we remember what we've lost. Sometimes the turning process can feel like a very small, insignificant part of our lives. We can often look at, we live for the moments, but we, those little trying seasons, that's not where God is, you know? Actually, no. Like one of Zechariah's visions was, he said, Zerubbabel, I think that's how you say it, Zerubbabel started rebuilding this temple, this temple that they're going to rebuild again. He started rebuilding it and he will complete it. That will be your confirmation that the God of the angel army sent me to you. Does anyone dare despise this day of small beginnings? We've all heard that scripture. Don't despise a day of small beginnings. They'll change their tune when they see Zerubbabel setting the last stone in place. The name Zerubbabel literally means seed of Babylon, born into Babylon. And I was like, that, like breaking down that, that scripture, that text, it's like, so here's a man who was born into exile, never knowing his true identity. And here God is using him in the, back in the promised land, rebuilding the temple. It's a picture of God's faithfulness. What was born into exile, he was a prince, and, and, and actually Zerubbabel and Joshua were the, came together to lead the first people back into the promised land. That was their charge, that you guys are actually going to lead. They were like the first guys to, get to start heading back. Zerubbabel, the man that was born into that exile, the beautiful picture of God's grace is that here is that same guy that was probably thought nothing ever would change. Here he is in the promised land laying down the final stone in the completion of the temple that was a place where people encountered God, a place where people found each other. You know, I thought it was such a good picture of God's faithfulness. But not just that, his name means seed of Babylon. And I thought to myself, well, how's that? Like God gives us seed in our exile. Zerubbabel was a seed. He was a gift. That, and when he was birthed, it looked like the temple being complete in the, in the promised land. And as hard as this turning of the, of the soil is in sometimes our exile, where we feel completely dislocated from you fill in the blanks. You know, for me, I felt mistrust creeping in. Where you just, you just it's, it's a slow creep. It creeps in under the door. It slips in and it just starts taking over. You don't trust as much. It starts wearing kind of wearing away at your will and your desire for life. But in those tough times, he's giving us gifts. He's giving us seeds. We just need to have eyes to see and ears to hear. 
because he's always present. We've seen that today. He is never giving up. And we should not despise the days of small things or you fill in the blanks. Whatever you're walking through right now, we should not despise it because God has, it's, it's a difficult, and I won't take that away. Those times can be very difficult and all our lives are very unique and very different. But he has a plan and a purpose for those, those small things that we despise. In all our heroes of faith, we see the Lord using small but powerful seasons in their life that we get to feed off now. We get the whole picture. But there was a time when it was just them and there was no full picture. In Abraham's smallness of life, what did we see? We saw that obedience is better than sacrifice, that the Lord never gives up on his promises. In the small things of Gideon's life, Rob shared last week, we see that God sees what you cannot see sometimes in your own life and he calls you out. He sees the, the, the beauty and the gold and what can become of our lives when we don't see it, his faithfulness. Through the small things of Paul's life, the struggles, we see that no person is out of reach of God's grace. So we feast of that truth. But at a time, it was a very definitive moment in Paul's life where he was pushing through and praying. We, we feast off that. You see what I'm saying? There's a seed that he's giving us that becomes a beautiful picture of God's faithfulness. And again, I say, he's pouring seeds into us. You may not think he's pouring seeds into you, but he is always working. A while before we started this album process, we, again, we were praying. We needed the Lord to um, recover some magnificence of who we were. Um, we needed to, we, we, so it's been about a, just under a two-year process of, of this album. And we experienced three deaths in our family and two immigrations, which is quite a thing to go through. I mean, those kinds of things really make you reevaluate life and really make you question things. It just does. It, it can either make you hit the wall and give up or, or find a place of saying, we actually had to, come, I had to come to a place of saying, okay, so I need to stop. I need, this is a process and I'm very real and I'm very present to my despair and what I'm feeling, but I need to know what the Lord is doing in this moment. I need to know what he's giving me. What are you pouring into me in this moment? I needed to be awake to what he was doing. Because again, he's always, he's not just giving us things that are apart from him. He's showing us who he is. He's not just giving us money to go to the shops and buy some bread and milk. He's giving us gifts that reveal who he is to us. He's always revealing his heart to us. He's always revealing the lens he would go to for us. He's not giving us stuff that'll just make us more independent from him. Never. In fact, he's giving us everything. He's just bringing us in. He's that daddy that just wants to hug and never let go. I don't know where I am on the page. Just give me two seconds. Um, <laughs> so we need to have eyes to see and be the only job we can have in the despair and in the turning of the soil and those moments of feeling like exile. All we have to do is be awake and be present. Because I don't know about you guys, sometimes, and, I, and my, our friends around us have taught us not to hide, and I, I'm, I like to hide sometimes, and whew, I'll war with the world on my own. And I'll get back to you, God, when, when I'm ready. I protect God from myself. Or I protect people from myself. Look at Adam and Eve. I mean, I feel sorry for them. They were literally the people that created the word problem or mistake. You know, you think we make mistakes? Well, they created the thing called mistake. And they were walking in the garden of their brokenness and their despair and their dismay. Where, what were they doing? They were hiding. What was the question being asked in the garden? Was it, where is God? No. It was, where is man? God was present. The Lord was present, walking in the garden, 
The question wasn't, where is the Lord? He's abandoned us. No, the Lord was walking in the garden of our brokenness, walking in the garden of our shame. He's not scared of anything. He's not scared of any question. That's, that was a big thing for me in this process. The Lord is not scared of any single question that I might have, or frustration. So the thing about the Lord giving us gifts and, 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 and seed in, in the moments of our suffering and our despair, where, where, where our hope is under attack. Romans 5, it says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And I love how the message puts it. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us. And how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert to what God will do next. In alert expectation, we're never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary, we can't round up enough containers to hold everything that God generously pours into us through the Holy Spirit. I'm just seeing the word pour. And I'm seeing the word alert. Alert for whatever God has next. Alert expectancy, God pouring out. Alert, awake, being awake to what the Lord is doing. Maybe He's building, maybe you think... Uh, getting endurance is not as important as just getting, let me tell you, in, yo, I'd love me some more endurance in my life. I would love me some more patience, some more virtue. All these things, they're beautiful gifts. Look at the disciples. And again, I think we, we can often, this, this, following this theme of our hope is, under, is always, we, we, we have a risk of always kind of floating into despair when we're not kind of anchored in hope. The disciples in the boats, and it was amazing the kids play because I had this prepared, is that here's the wind and waves. Who was sleeping on the floor? It was Jesus, fast asleep. Who was awake to the wind and the waves, the very real threats on their hope, the very real threats on their identities? The disciples, wide awake. Sure, I would have been one of those guys. What? Big waves. You know, this is scary. They run to Jesus, fast asleep. He gets up, he calls still. He calls peace. What was the seed? Guys, you have authority. Flip that on his head. The Garden of Gethsemane. Who's wide awake and praying and sweating blood? Tears. Jesus. Who's fast asleep? The disciples. And again, this isn't it to putting a heavy. It's just to say like how we can sometimes, and I, I, maybe I speak for myself, but we can be awake to the wrong things. Where God's saying, you're wide awake to the very wrong thing here. You should be sleeping and resting because I'm always working. And then in this area, I want you wide awake. I want you wide awake, and I want you very present in this area. And so hope is to open yourself up to God, to do His work, to work in you in ways that transcend your imagination, your understanding, your one plus one equals two, and despite your situation. Henry Noem, he writes this, he, said, he says, the solid stream of God's presence moves deeper than the small waves of our minds and hearts. He is at work in the deep spaces of your heart, even when we think the storms and waves are doing more work. That is beautiful. That is like, for me, that is a... <sighs> he is at work, even when we, because we often think that this financial struggle, this character thing that I'm trying to work through, this whatever it is, fill in the blanks, 
shamelessly fill in the blanks. No, that thing is not bigger than him always working, his stream always flowing, his alerts, his alertness to us, his gifts he wants to pour into us in every moment. And so talking about these disciples, um, and I often think, I like to imagine things when I read the scripture, I like to put myself there, you know, because often we can read it as like this distant book and this distant story, but they're actually real people walking with real troubles, struggles. And here the disciples have given all their lives to Jesus. Again, we see the whole picture. We see the beginning, end. We've watched the movie five times. We know what happens. These guys, all they had was Jesus. I'm following Jesus. I've... I haven't gone to that funeral. I've quit that job. I've stopped that career climb. I'm following Jesus with all I am. Then they see him doing amazing works. And then what happens? He dies. This powerful man, this powerful person that they've given all their lives to is on a cross, dead. Imagine what they felt. Imagine the walk home that day from the cross, the conversations that happened amongst the disciples. What do we do? We know what they did. They went and hid. They went and closed the doors and hid. They were just probably so overcome with despair. But what did Jesus do? He taught us all a story that day. He showed the disciples and he shows us that his love doesn't and his passion doesn't stop at the cross. It entered the tomb. It entered the place of degradation, of brokenness, of falling apart, of disintegrating. Sometimes for me, that's what life can feel like sometimes. It feels like you're losing absolute control over every situation. He went into that place, the tomb, and he rose again. Where we've put it a full stop after death, he was like, mm -mm, I'm raising to life. And he became our very real living hope. To show us that that's despair. Because often we want to skip the despair just and go straight to hope. But actually he wants us to face those things. Because again, he's giving us gifts. He's pouring into us in those moments of despair. He is recovering things that you thought you lost. He is showing you in those moments that he has gifts for you. He is birthing things in you. Hebrews 6.9 says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place, behind the curtain. And then I've added on, onto the Father's lap. That's my version. We have entered, we have the sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place, behind the curtain. The Father's lap. The message says, We have run to him for our dear lives having every reason to grab the promised hope with our hands and never let go. It's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline, reaching past all appearances. So what, what it looks like, reaching past all appearances into the very presence of God with Jesus running ahead of us and taking his permanent seat as a high priest. Sometimes we, we tend to give fear more of a chance than we do hope. We do. And fear disappoints us every single time. It does. Like without fail, even knowing it disappoints us, we give in to fear. But the Lord's saying we need to keep ourselves anchored in hope. And hope is an optimism. You know, the optimist looks at the rain and says, oh, cool, everything's going to grow. And the pessimist looks at the same rain and says, oh, shame, everything's going to drown. That's it's just kind of based on perhaps something good will happen and perhaps something bad will happen. But Jesus, being neither of those, speaks about hope that is not based on chances that things will get better or worse. His hope is built on the promise that whatever happens, God is with us at all times, in all places. 
That to me is again, it, 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 you can't explain that. God, that God with us, that feeling of security, knowing that he is always with us. Our middle son, Jackson, he's going through a little bit of a patch where he needs someone to lie with him because he's a little bit nervous, you know, and scared with nighttime. And it was like two nights ago, he said, Daddy, please come and lie with me. Like, all I'm doing is lying with him. I'm not coming with baseball bats and three knives and hitting the lights on, come, let's come, let's go to sleep. I'm just coming to lie with him, and he's finding complete safety, complete rest. And it hit me. I was like, this is a picture of how I need to be. Like, Lord, don't worry about turning the lights on right now. Don't worry about coming with your, your three bare grills knives and a baseball bat. Just, I want to know that you are here. Help me be awake to what you are doing right now in this, in this very real struggle, in this very real storm. Show me the gifts you are putting in me, the seeds you are planting in me, because that is our hope. If you put your hope in circumstances, we, we all know circumstances change. We put ourselves, our, our hope in people, we all know people change. In our careers, we all know careers change. Those things are beautiful things, but our ultimate anchor is in, is in hope. Yeah. And so today, I, he wants us to let down our anchors into hope. I just had that picture of that, like, letting down that anchor. When I was a kid and I, I used to surf, I'd paddle out, and then I'd look, and I'd find a landmark on the beach, and it was always the pipe. So if I stay in front of the pipe, I know I'm safe, because if I drift this way with the current, I'm going to land on the reef. And if I drift this way, I'm going to be in the swimming area and you get kicked out of the sea if you're surfing in the swimming area. So I knew as long as I stay the course here, I know that, although I, you know, I know I can just enjoy my, my surfing moments. And I think that is our anchor is. That is how hope works. If we anchor ourselves in hope, it keeps our hope from drifting off into despair. Because even the slightest current can sometimes just kind of let us go off course and we fall into fear and we fall into despair we fall into discouragement <clears throat> and our hope is anchored in the truth that he is good he is able and he's always with us he made an oath and a covenant with abraham he oathed on his life his who he was god because there was no one higher than him and i've given you a promise my words so i hope that's what hope is anchored on is on an oath and is on his promise if you want to undermine any authority just go after their person and go, or go after their words. You know what I mean? Just say, oh, that person did this or that person said that. You undermine their authority. And so we need to put our anchors in his hope. Finance, worry, family struggles, work issue. They are shouting at us. Pull up your anchors. Come with me. Come, come. It's wise to give into these things. Wisdom is being very aware of what's happening, giving into the fear of it and living that fear out. That is not wisdom. That is, that is the wind and way of saying, come, those headlines, those attacks on our jobs, the attacks on our society, on our financial freedom, whatever, fill in the blanks. It is saying, pick up your, pick up your anchors quickly and let's drift. To bring it to a close, I, I have been praying, um, my prayer has been, Lord, come and recover the magnificence of hope in my life. Help me trust again. Help me trust you deeper. Help me become more childlike. I think there's a beauty in being more childlike. It involves a deep trust and a basic thing of, ah, it's okay, God's got this. When I watch, my, when my boys and I watch like 
a little superhero movie, and I mean, this is what I was like as well. I watched Karate Kid. What happens 10 minutes in, boom, I'm, I am Karate Kid outside in the, in, the, in the garden. I'm like, got my thing on, and I'm acting the movie out. I'm just, I can't, that's my kids too. We watch halfway through, and they're out. The one's saying, I'm Superman. No, no, I'm Superman. you Iron Man. They enact what they're doing. That's, that's childlikeness. I think one way to start, if you feel like, how do I get more hope? I think it's saying, Lord, help me, help me understand this thing of being childlike. Because Jesus always related to us as a father would to a child. Like, that's the way I see it. It's a relationship. It's in family that we get the best picture of the Trinity, the relationship with the Trinity. So Lord, help me be more childlike so that I have a deeper trust in you. I have a deeper um, belief that you are with me. And every, like Abraham, against all hope, he hoped. It's like one of my favorite lines in the scripture, against all hope. He hoped. Where are we picking up our anchors and going, it's cool. Let's just, let me just drift here for a bit. You will go, but it'll be, you'll always know. You'll know where there's areas of your life where you've lifted up the anchor. And God's just saying, just let it, let it down. Let it in me. Rest in me. Rest in the truth that I'm with you. Rest in the truth of my oath and my promise that has stood for generation to generation and is still true today. I just felt I wanted to play this song, Recovering the Magnificence, that we wrote, because I feel like it, 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 it just, when you play a song, it just carries, I think it carries the weight of the process, the weight of the words, can kind of minister to, to you today. And I, I want you to think of, of these questions, and if you have pen and paper, you can write while, while we're listening, but do you have your anchors down? And be honest, again, God is not scared of our questions. He's not scared of going into that space. Are we living with expectancy? Do we believe good for our futures? Are we drifting? In what areas do you want the Lord to recover the magnificence in your life? So you clothed me in your dream. You told my heart, run wild and free. That I was standing still, you became a lamp unto my feet. In Zechariah, one of the visions was a picture of Joshua standing before the temple in these dirty, run-down, you just run-down, dirty clothes. And it says, take those, rip those clothes off him and enrobe him in new clothes. And that's a picture that Jesus has done for us. He's clothed us with himself. He's clothed us in a freedom. And sometimes that freedom is an adventure. And that line there, that I was standing still, you became a lamp unto my feet. Sometimes, even in freedom, we don't know what steps to take. How do I walk as a magnificent son and daughter of God? And he, became, he becomes a lamp unto our feet. You calm the fear of this buried violence. With, uh, is there more? with the mighty strength, a hopeful silence. Within the fire, I saw you smiling and you became a lamp unto my feet. I really struggled to put the word violence in, just to be honest, because it's quite a word, you know, in a worship song, to have the word violence. But I, there was no other way to say sometimes what we feel beneath the surface, and what we feel we're pressing down. When we press it down long enough, it really does become something. It can really lead us into despair. And God is just really speaking to me about being quiet before him. Like, don't worry, I know the things you want to pray. Just come and be quiet. Let me work in ways that transcend your imagination and that transcend your understanding. You won't grow tired, you won't grow weak. Steadfast ever you will be. That's just him always with us. Your love's recovering now, the magnificence. Visions of hope only heaven sent. We may forget, but you won't relent. And you're the way and a lamp unto my feet. Again, we can sometimes lift up our anchors and drift off course. But he is always present. He is always revealing himself to us, always revealing hopes, always revealing visions through people, through dreams, through his word. He is always ever present to give us 
to give us that gift that we need that he wants to birth into you, something that looks like his faithfulness. And then you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life in me. All that was lost is more beautiful when it is found in you. And I think that's, again, it's that seed of Babylon picture. Those things that we, that come out of those times of huge struggle are beautiful pictures of his faithfulness. Things that we felt were lost, they're going to become more beautiful when it is found in him, when we're not hanging. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit thecollectivechurch.ca.ca.